Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer R. Levin, and I'm a traumatic grief therapist and founder of Therapy Heals, where we help organizations and individuals prepare and heal from sudden or unexpected death. And in my podcast, Untethered, Healing the Pain from Sudden Death, I share resources and stories to help you go from the chaos of sudden or unexpected death to move towards healing in your life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. In today's podcast, I interview Dr. Donna Sherman, who is the Senior Director of Advocacy and Education for the Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families. Dr. Sherman also served as the Executive Director of the Dougie Center for approximately 25 years and was instrumental in growing and shaping the organization into the amazing resource it is today. The Dougie Center is a nonprofit organization based in Portland, Oregon, and their mission is to provide grief support in a safe place where children, teens, young adults, and their families can share their experiences before and after a death. The Dougie Center also provides support and training locally, nationally, and internationally to individuals and organizations seeking to assist children who are grieving. In addition to her work at the Dougie Center, Dr. Sherman is an international expert on children's grief and she has worked extensively with children, teens, and families in grief, both after an expected and an unexpected loss. She is also very experienced working with families and communities after large-scale tragedies and natural disasters, including the Oklahoma City bomb, the Japan Great Hashin earthquake, the attacks during 9-11, and the Sandy Hook school shootings. After following Dr. Sherman and the Dougie Center for so many years, I was excited to have an opportunity to spend time together to understand what led Dr. Sherman to specialize in children's bereavement, to learn about her personal experiences, and to provide her with the opportunity to share the Dougie Center resources with this audience. So Donna, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, why don't you start off and just tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thanks, Jennifer. It's my privilege to spend some time talking with you today. I am currently, wow, 33 years into my work as a staff person at Dougie Center, at the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. I was a volunteer for about six years before that. So I took that job 33 years ago thinking I'll give it three to five years and, you know, it, it can't be that big a job. And here I am, you know, 33 years later. Unfortunately, I think that in some ways we've grown as as a nation and as a world, like understanding that that yes, children are resilient, but they're not resilient in a vacuum. It's not like, oh, they'll be fine, don't worry about it. So we've recognized that grief, loss, death, the advanced serious illness of a family member really can have long-term implications. But unfortunately, I still hear kids talking about things like whatever, a teacher saying, you need to get over this, or a therapist saying, you have to take all the photos of the person down, or recently, uh, someone, a parent told me that her therapist that she only saw one time asked her how, what was helpful to her after her husband's death. And she said, well, at night, before I go to sleep, I talk to him and I just kind of share my day. And the therapist said, you know, in some cultures, 
that would be considered holding the spirit of the person back when they really need to be released. And this is in 2023, not 1923. So, I mean, you know, it's like we've, we've made progress, but we have a lot, a lot more to go. And I, I just, I've had the privilege of working these 33 years with Dougie Center, traveling around the world to both human caused and natural disaster areas, uh, multiple times in Japan, Taiwan, South Korea. Um, unfortunately, after school shootings in the United States and just that there is a commonality to grief. Yeah. And there are certainly cultural differences, but there's, there's, we, we all, we all do grieve. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, um, are you native to the Portland area? No, I'm not. I actually grew up outside of Northeast Philadelphia. So, you know, 3000 miles away from, from my hometown, um, my, the rest of my family now, my mother died actually three years ago oh. on uh, two days from now, three years ago during the pandemic. She was in the Baltimore area. And um, so I do still have some relatives back in Baltimore and New Jersey, Florida. I get back on the East Coast occasionally. What brought you to Portland? I was actually. I was living in Chicago where I went to graduate school, Northern Illinois University, got my doctor, doctorate in counseling there. And by the way, I had a half an hour on grief and loss in a doctorate in counseling in the School of Education at Northern Illinois University. Uh, but I was working for International Relief and Development Agency in the Chicago area. World Relief, and I was recruited to Portland to work for another one, uh, Mercy Corps. And so I, I worked for Mer Mercy Corps a few years, then I went to Outward Bound for two oh, wow. years, just to kind of a different part of my brain and, and use my body more. And Love that program. Yeah, it's a great program. And then Dougie Center, so... So what led you um, into the field of grief and loss and, and more specifically children's grief? That's a great question. I, I think my answer to that is on several different levels. So one is a door opened and I walked through it. Okay. You know, uh, I had moved to Portland and read about like a paragraph in the Lake Oswego Review newspaper about this program for grieving children. It just sounded interesting. And I met with Bev Chapel, who was the founder, mm -hmm. and she, there were no paid employees at the time. It was very, very small, very grassroots. And I just wanted to be helpful. I thought it was a great cause. And I think. I was probably 10, 15 years into doing this work and people would say, what got you interested? I, I've always been interested in death. I'm not sure why, yep. but, but I, again, I'm like 10, 15 years into this and I'm thinking it's June. And I remember growing up, my father would say, you know, your mom's going to be depressed. Just kind of stay under the radar till the 4th of July about the baby and just kind of leave her alone, avoid her, stay under the radar. So I had two older brothers. The three of us were just kind of like, okay, we'll stay under the radar. And we knew that their first child, a girl, died shortly after birth. But it was never talked about, never mentioned. We had no details, nothing. Mm. And so I'm well into my 40s, again, in this work, and I call my mother, who Irish, 
you know, doesn't wear her heart on her sleeve, kind of buck up generation. And I said, Mom, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but if you do, I'd like to hear the story about my sister. And I got off the phone three and a half hours later. Wow. And my mom told the whole story. I thought she was maybe going to hang up on me or something. And during it, I said to her, how come I don't know any of this? What, who have you ever talked to about it? And my grandmother, my father's mother, she talked to, who also had a daughter die at 16, her only daughter. But what she said was, no one ever asked. Yeah. You know, so I think, Jennifer, one of the commonalities, like we all have, whoever's listening, all of us, we all come from a long line of dead people. And some of them we know about and others we don't know about. Hmm. And our family trees have gaps where maybe there was the suicide death of an uncle or maybe a miscarriage that was embarrassing because my mom said it was to lose your child at five days old. My mom was 19. Um, her Catholic father told her it's because she married a German Methodist. Oh, geez. And I think a little part of her carried that throughout her life till her death at 91 and a half. And for me, the things we don't talk about and the things we bury and the things we can't, we can't do something with, um, they don't just go away. They manifest in relationships, in, you know, self-harm, in isolation because i think a lot of my experience personally when i have grieved my father's death my mother's death and several friends over the last couple of years during covid and my brother died of covid six months after my mother died and is it's it's inherently isolating um and I think so many people don't know what to say that even being sometimes being around people just feels painful and awkward. Mm -hmm. And most people aren't in a place of, well, I'm going to educate people about how to help me. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, you know, so when we most need social support, we're perhaps less inclined to be able to access it. Mm -hmm. And then it, it has the potential to become increasingly isolating. Um, it doesn't have to be, of course, but, but it, it has that potential. And, and certainly that's what happened with my mother. I mean, she didn't talk about it for like 60 years or 40 years. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I just think it's important to punctuate these life and death events in our lives, to have ways to. And I think that that was really challenging for me during the pandemic because my mother died November 2020. November 15th, we couldn't have an in-person service. You know, my brother died May 15th, the following year. We still couldn't have an in-person service. So with some help of dear friends, I was able to, to get a virtual service to happen with photos and music and something my, my mother and I think my brother would have appreciated, but it wasn't the same as being able to be in person. Absolutely. So many people struggled with that during that time. Yeah. Well, and we're hearing from our families at Dougie Center that the other you, you didn't get the same social support because on some level, everybody was grieving. Right. Something. Right. And the person didn't get what they deserved mm -hmm. to be honored at, at their death. And, you know, you can't. You can't just go back and do that. No, no. 
So yeah, I mean, it's been hard. It's been hard for, for families. And also there was a bit of a stigma. I know I do training all the time. Like, what do you say to people who are grieving and just don't make your first question. uh, Was he vaccinated? Right. Right. (laughs) You know, like I heard your brother died. Was he vaccinated? Right. Right. Same thing with lung cancer. Were they a smoker? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Or, you know, and I hear people who have someone murdered, uh, for example, that they don't get the same level of support and people say, oh, they were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it may be, no, they were in the right place. The person who perpetrated right. was in the wrong place. Such um, complex issues. I mean, very complex. And, you know, people, children, adults, we carry this stuff with us. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to be helpful and it's, but it's also apparently pretty easy to not be. (laughs) Let's step back for a minute. Um, Whenever I think of children's grief, um, as far as I'm concerned, the Dougie Center is the gold standard. And um, I have been referring families and clinicians to the Dougie Center for over 20 years. And for those listeners um, who are not familiar with the Dougie Center, can you just take a minute and describe this amazing resource that you have been affiliated with for 33 years and have helped grow and thrive and directed and some of the services offered so that some of our uh, listeners can take advantage of it? Sure. Yeah, happy to. So Dougie Center was the first children's peer support program that we're aware of in the United States and and beyond. Uh, We're, I think, 42 or 43 years old this year. And we work with children starting at age three up through, we used to work up through teens, 18, and then we kept getting requests from 19-year-olds and 23-year-olds and 28-year-olds. You know, what about us? And so we started young adult groups as well. And even when we started the young adult groups, they were originally 18 to 24. Hmm. And then we'd get like 28 year olds and 32 year olds. So now we have young 18 to 24 and 25 up. And our groups at any point in time right now, I think we have about 80 support groups that are ongoing. They're for three to five year olds. Uh, some of the, sometimes we have a four to eight year old group. We have six to twelve year olds, ten to fourteen. So there's some overlap of ages, teen groups, uh, and young adult groups. And while the children's groups are meeting, there is also an adult caregiver group uh, for parents or or adult caregivers. Sometimes it's a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle. Another adult may be uh, supporting the child or the teen. And the groups are open-ended, meaning there's they're not time limited. So Families can attend for as long as they wish to. I think the last time we looked, the average length of time was about 15 months. There's no fee to the family. They're 100% supported through donations from the community, foundations, individuals, companies. And the groups are divided, uh, parent death or sibling death, especially for adults. It's very hard to be in a group where you've lost your spouse and someone else has lost a child. Yep. You know, there's grief overlap but there's also some very different aspects to those deaths and then we have specific groups for after a suicide death groups for after a violent death or murder and families don't have to go into those they can go into a parent death or a sibling death group but i will say that because of the additional sometimes media issues or stigma issues, legal issues, 
I would say the majority of families who've had a suicide death, a murder, drunk driving, crash, death, uh, choose to go into those specific groups because, again, there are additional issues related. We also have, I think we're about, I want to say 10 years into providing groups for children and families who have a family member with an advanced serious illness, uh, like brain tumor, ALS, some condition that is likely to take their life. So anticipatory grief. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that term just because, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, because I think it, I was writing an article one time called anticipatory grief mornings foreplay (laughs) morning M O U R N. Yes. Yes. Um, because I think it, in some definitions of anticipatory grief, and again, if you Google that, you're going to get 30 different, same with grief, you Google grief. And most of the definitions out there, including American Psychiatric Association, American Psychological, they all focus on emotions. So grief is an emotion, anger, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, what about the physical, the physical, the spiritual, the relational, the social, the the contextual, you know, all of that. So that's my problem with some definitions of anticipatory grief that it uh, minimizes the experience of anticipating, but that's because of the definitions that I have the problem with, not the concept. Okay. So, um, but then again, I think grief is challenging to really capture in words. Yeah. Not impossible. We try, we use a lot of metaphors um but i think grief is deeper than words can capture and i'm a word freak like i love words i was an english major in college i value language so much and yet grief is more than is capturable in words absolutely a little bit about your groups are they in person or online uh well the majority are in person, the vast majority. Okay. We have a few that continued virtually after the pandemic because we went 100% virtual okay. for a period of time during the pandemic, which is incredibly challenging with three-year-olds. <laughs> I only imagine. Um, and the only reason I ask that is, um, are they limited to people in the Portland geographic area? Well, we have, we have a geographical range for virtual groups. Uh, Otherwise we'd be running like 8,000 groups. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Uh, We have three physical locations, uh, Southeast Portland, Hillsboro and Canby area for any listeners who know Oregon at all. But we have helped to start hundreds of other programs throughout throughout the country and actually into other countries, including Japan, South Korea, uh, Italy, Germany, Rwanda. Um, and those links to those programs are on our website at Dougie.org yeah. in other states. And we maintain close ties with them through an association that I I was one of the founding board members, I'm going to say 27 years ago, called the National Alliance for Children's Grief. And we meet annually next, well, in 2024, it'll be in Denver in June, uh, sponsored by Judy's House in Denver. And we get together regularly to share research, share ideas. And the, the Dougie Center model has been replicated and used throughout the country and beyond, uh, but it's not a franchise. So they're not all called Dougie Centers. They're 
we really wanted people to adapt the model to their own circumstances. So they're, they're foundational principles, but you know, do you meet weekends? Do you meet evenings? Do you meet daytime? Those kinds of things. But for us, it's, it is very important to have it be open-ended groups and not, and also not curriculum driven. So our groups are, are what the youth want to talk about. And we may have prompts. We may have exercises. We have at Dougie Center, we have various playrooms. We have a music room, a high activity room with foosball and a punching bag. And there's a volcano room which is about big energy, like being able to throw things. Um, we have a we have a dress-up room with a little stage to do little plays if kids want to develop those and put them on. Art rooms, just because not everybody talks. Right, right. You know, Shakespeare famously said, give sorrow words, but he was a writer. Yeah. So, you know, we need to give sorrow Sometimes things to throw and break. We need to give sorrow dance and music and and silence. And so the the idea that families attend for as long as they wish to is recognizing everybody's grief is different. Mm-hmm. There may be similarities, but you know, the relationship with the person who died, the kind of social support or lack of support they have, unfinished conversations, all of these factors. And there are few things as disempowering as having someone die and not being able to do anything about it. Right. And so to be given the choice of, I can be here for as long as I need to be, is in itself empowering. Absolutely. And and it's also not it's not grief school. So we don't say, okay, today we're talking about the funeral. You know, right. kind of whether you like it or not. Right. You know, and I I've been in groups. I love one classic example. I was in a sibling death group and they were all new kids. So starting out all new kids. It was in September. In our pre-meeting, I suggested to the volunteers, we have hundred over 100 trained volunteers who help facilitate all the groups with our master's level and above staff, uh, I, that we ask how, how has it been to go back to school? And we put that question out there, and the first teen, 15-year-old boy says, I don't want to talk about that. I have something else I'd like to ask. And I said, great, what is it? And he said, did you see the dead body of your sibling, of your brother, your sister, your you know, sibling? So even we were assuming because they're new, they wanted to maybe ease in and talk about less threatening things. And this this kid wanted to jump right in. Yeah. And it led to some amazing conversations. Yeah. No, kids have a way of um, getting right to it when they're ready. And it sounds like that's the space that you've created at the Dougie Center. And I love all of the space. Um, I, you know, uh, was doing some reading over the weekend and read something that I like of, you know, trauma being um, pre-verbal and mm-hmm. uh, and all of those different rooms gives the the kids and the the children that you serve a space to express that especially those who are experiencing or a sudden or unexpected death uh, and have that traumatic grief um all of the space to you know be nonverbal with the yeah um, Yeah, exactly yeah and you know jennifer trauma is an interesting word the comes from a word that basically from the Latin that means wound. Yeah. You know, so um, I just, I, again, I'm a big advocate of language and 
and and not um, pathologizing people who are grieving for their behavior or their feelings or their experience. Absolutely. Um, as if there's one right way or one length of time or how deep you can grieve before it's, and I'm not saying that people don't struggle. I'm just saying, let's not pathologize them for struggling. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. What are some of the biggest milestones or achievements? I know uh, you've had many positions uh, or roles, I should say, within the Dougie Center, which you talked about. But, you know, you were the executive director for 25 years, um, volunteer, and now you're serving as the senior director of advocacy and education. What are some of the uh, milestones or achievements that you're most proud of during your time? Um, and how have they impacted you personally as well? Mm -hmm. Well, I would say... When I started, again, really young organization, grassroots, dedicated people, dedicated volunteers, I think it's harder to do that now. Yeah. yeah. And there was so much passion and so much dedication in the early days. And there, I mean, there still is, but a lot of you know, passion and energy and excitement doesn't necessarily build an organization in and of itself. So I was really privileged to have a lot of people along the way. Nothing I did was on my own. Michael Hubbard was our board chair at one point. We were really struggling financially. I said, Michael, I don't know what to do. I can't keep you know, wondering if at the end of the month we can make ends meet. And he said, you know, what do, what do you need? And I said, $500,000. And he said, give me two weeks. And he came back with $500,000 from some stock sales. Uh, Gwyneth Gamble Booth, who was a, an advocate, Chris McClave, people, people showed up in the community and cared. And one thing I, really clearly stated and have all this time strongly believed that whenever I, so I was the executive director for 25 years. It was my goal the entire time that nobody leaves because I leave. Whenever I leave the organization, nobody in it leaves because I leave. Hmm. Because it's not about me. It's about the mission. And I have seen organizations fall apart after a longtime leader leaves because some people are like, well, I'm going to follow them. And well, then you should follow them. But also, some our executive director now, Brennan Wood, who asked me to stay three to five years when she assumed the role of executive director. It's been eight. She asked me to stay three to five. She's my boss. I knew her when she was 12 years old, when she came through the Dougie Center, when her mother died of breast cancer. Mm. And she was on a teen panel with me and Alan Wolfeld out of the Center for Loss and Transition in, in Denver. Mm -hmm. And she was asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you, where do you see yourself? And she said, she looked at me and she said, someday I want her job. Wow. She went away to college, Montana, you know, graduated from college, did some work, came back as our receptionist. And that was 17 years ago, worked her way up. And with the blessing of the board after a national search and also all of our staff, except one person who's not on it anymore, wanted her. <laughs> and I could have left at that moment or any time that I do, knowing it's in the best of hands. So for me, that's the biggest blessing is knowing that nothing falls apart when I leave. Mm -hmm. 
you've really created uh, with your team a self-sustaining agency. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of places can say that. Yeah. And again, so many people, and, and some of them are people who experienced the death of a parent or sibling when they were children and wish there had been something like this for them. Others just recognize the impact, even though it's not personal for them, that unaddressed grief can have on children throughout their lives. And notice I, I'm not saying unresolved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't even think that's a goal, like to resolve grief, like it's some foe we have to battle. Right. Um, I'm trying to think of who it was who said, oh, I think it was Voltaire. No, it wasn't Voltaire. Who said, um, only the shallow know themselves. Hmm. (laughs) You know, sort of like there's always other layers to peel off. And I think that there's something about that relating to grief. Uh, My father's been dead 20 years and I still have moment a lot of times where I'm thinking, oh, I wish I'd asked him this. Mm-hmm. Or a memory of playing kickball. Or mm-hmm. and that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, to to keep the memory of people in a society that wants us to close the door, move on, put this behind you. Or pathologize. It was a big movement in the field to diagnose people with prolonged grief disorder. I was going to say that I can tell you are not a fan. I'm not a fan. And even the, the terminology. Yeah. Prolonged grief disorder says right in the term you're taking too long. Yep. Yeah. And like who, did, who made that up? Well, I know who made it up, but um, yeah, I, I, I just completely disagree with it. Yeah. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges today that children and families struggle with when it comes to grief? The times are changing so much, technology, all of that stuff. I find it interesting. Again, we went virtual for a while. And a lot of teens, for example, middle school age and and older high school teens, are very savvy with, obviously, with Zoom, with all of that. And yet, when they come to their in-person groups, they're relieved to, like, put their phones down, be in person. I'm not saying virtual groups can't be helpful, but there's, there's something about being in person that, for, for, for the majority of of kids who come to Dougie Center would rather be in person. There's something really important about that. I think the challenges, some of the challenges are managing social media with youth in ways that are helpful and not harmful. So lots of things can go out on social media about a death that are hurtful and Even everybody, a lot of people say, well, everybody's doing the best they can, but that's not true. (laughs) Like our kids still get teased. Maybe that's the best some kids can do, but they're still made fun of. You know, I heard your dad shot himself. No wonder I would too if I had a kid like you. I mean, kids can be cruel. Adults can be cruel. Absolutely. And I think that is a concern and has been a concern of mine for a long time. I think we're not making progress as a society on depression and hopelessness among teens and coping with failure, coping with loss, even how schools respond to suicide deaths in their school community, whether it's a student or a faculty or someone who worked at the school. There's still a lot of fear-based response. 
rather than open response, open caring, compassionate response. So I think we have a long way to go there. And I do think the just social disconnection among youth is a is a big problem. It was certainly was made worse by the pandemic. Yeah. And I know that there are some kids out there and some adults out there who say like it was actually helpful because it brought our family closer. And I while I can recognize that that is the case for some people, I think for a lot of youth it it became very destructive in terms of social bonding and the importance of that for children and and youth and particularly well all youth but teens who often rely on their peers as their social support system increasingly kind of developmentally appropriately um not disattaching from, but shifting relationship with adults, with parents. Yeah. Um, so I, I think those are challenging things. Yeah. Uh, I think you were very, that was very well said. Um, I'd love to talk to you sometime about your proposed solutions <laughs> <laughs> for those. Because, uh, yeah, those are really, it's a trying time right now it really really is well there's so much polarization too and and meanness and a lot of that is perpetuated by adults and then kids pick up on it my friends who are teachers who work in schools say post-pandemic like social kindness is not lacking but it's there are more fights. There are more outbreaks of things. And I think that's a reflection of a lot of what's happening uh, politically and throughout the world at this time. Not that this is the first time this has ever happened in the world, but it's notable in our time. And I think escalated because of the pandemic and everything that happened around that. I couldn't agree more. What advice um, do you have to uh, families who are just brand new and struggling with the grief and pain um, after a sudden or unexpected loss and have young children? I do recommend that they reach out to get support. And there are programs throughout. I mean, many, many programs. There are Parents of Murdered Children groups. There are the Compassionate Friends International Program that reaches out to parents who've had a child of any age die, including adult children. They have chapters throughout the United States. There are virtual programs. There are in-person. And I would recommend they look at, if they're looking for something in their own area, go on the Dougie Center website, Dougie.org, D-O-U-G-Y.org. And there's an area where you can look up by state, what programs are available in your area. Um, I think the, the most important thing is to find those people who can truly be supportive to your family. Some people find that in their spiritual community. Some people find it in sports, in youth programs, in other kinds of communities. And unfortunately, some people don't find that. You know, they they actually, uh, grief is one of those things where you find out who can be there for you and in what ways. And I think most of us who have grieved the death of someone in our lives recognize people show up in incredibly beautiful ways. Some people show up that we wouldn't have expected to people disappear that we wouldn't have expected to. And occasionally people can be unkind and, and downright cruel. So there's a, but you, you find out 
whether people who say things like, let me know if you need anything, whether they really mean it or not. And it's a good, I think we are sort of, when we're grieving, we're kind of broken open in that way that time changes. So we're not living in linear time like other people are. It feels short. It feels long. It feels like yesterday. It feels like a year ago. We're also, I think, more receptive to what matters, like what really matters. You know, our BS detectors are on high alert. That is so well said. Yes. (laughs) And there's, there's value in that in the sense of life is short. I don't want to hang out with people that are draining or mean. And again, a lot of, I'm not a fan of telling people you need to find meaning in this. So there's a lot of emphasis on meaning making, which is a fine thing. But I remember one of the dads whose daughter was shot and killed in uh, Florida, school shooting, uh, did a podcast with Jana De Cristofaro on our Grief Out Loud podcast. And he said, there is no meaning in my daughter's death. There's no meaning. I can find purpose in my life. And his purpose is trying to get gun legislation. But don't tell me I have to make meaning of my daughter's. Now, other people may look at it differently. but that's where the shoulds. Yep. I like to tell people, don't should on yourself. <laughs> Get off of Mount Should. Yeah, exactly. Because it doesn't help us. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much, Donna, for your time today. And um, I will definitely, we'll have the everything up for the Dougie Center on our uh, show notes and in our Facebook group and all of the wonderful resources that you have to offer and um, such wonderful insight today. So again, thank you so much for spending time and sharing with us. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. You're absolutely welcome. I was so delighted to have the opportunity to interview Dr. Donna Sherman, whom I associate directly with the Dougie Center. I have been referring to the Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families, as the gold standards for treatment and resources for childhood grief since I began working with grieving children and families. Unfortunately, my experience has shown me that so many adults and even professionals misunderstand the grieving experiences and needs of children and young adults, which can be detrimental to their healing and physical and mental health in later life. The bereavement needs among children have become a national problem that must be understood and addressed. Thankfully, organizations such as the Dougie Center exist to provide services, training, and support for childhood bereavement. Current estimates indicate that approximately 6 million children in the United States will experience the death of a parent or sibling by the time they are 18 years of age. This means that roughly one out of every children will experience a death in their nuclear family of parents and siblings. By age 25, this number more than doubles to 14.7 million children and youth who will experience the death of a parent or sibling. These numbers come from the Childhood Bereavement Estimation Model, which is a tool that has been developed by Judy's House and the JAG Institute in partnership with the New York Light Foundation that approximates rates of United States children and youth who will experience the death of a parent or sibling by the time they reach adulthood. This model can also estimate loss by geographic region and among different ethnic groups. For more information on this model, including downloadable resources, please visit judyshouse.org. The death of immediate family member in a young person's life 
is one of the most commonly reported difficult childhood experiences. When not addressed, childhood grief and trauma can cause poor performance in school, mental health problems, and even early mortality. Grief support and other appropriate services can decrease the risk for future problems and increase healthy adaptation and healing. At the end of our podcast, Dr. Sherman's advice to families with grieving children was to get support. Even if you reside outside the Portland area, the Dougie Center's website has a wealth of resources, including their searchable worldwide directory, which lists organizations and grief groups, including those trained by the Dougie Center. There are also online resources and worksheets for kids, teens, young adults, parents and caregivers, schools, communities, and resources in Spanish. There's information specific to relationship losses, including siblings, parents, grandparents, as well as information specific to how a loved one died. For example, death from COVID, suicide, homicide, accidents, and there are support material for families who have loved ones who are in the process of dying. Finally, the Dougie Center has an amazing podcast, Grief Out Loud, where listeners of all ages can hear the personal stories of kids, teens, and adults who are also grieving. The podcast also includes tips for supporting children and interviews with professionals. If you want an opportunity to connect with Dr. Donna Sherman, please join our Facebook group talking about the podcast Untethered with Dr. Levin. The Facebook group includes a direct link to their podcast, Dr. Sherman's bio, and of course, information about the Doggy Center. Our next podcast will be December 27 and will feature Dr. Robert Niemeyer, a clinician and researcher perhaps best known for his work on meaning-making in grief. Dr. Niemeyer is also the director of the Portland Institute for Loss and Transition. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Untethered, Healing the Pain After a Sudden Death. To learn more about hope and guidance after a sudden or unexpected death, please visit therapyheals.com and sign up for my monthly newsletter, Guidance in Grief, at www.therapyheals.com. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For guidance and hope with unexpected or sudden death, please visit my website, www.therapyheals.com to learn more about the services we offer. If you would like to share your story on our podcast in service of helping others heal after a sudden or unexpected death, please email us at info at therapyheals.com.